0: Listen, if you're not in Christ, I can promise you this. You are in slavery to the fear of death. You fear the reality of death. And the only victory over the fear of death and the power of death is in Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom will continue his current series with part six of The True and Better Adam. If you are human, you were born in Adam. That's clear throughout all of Scripture. But the question that you need to examine today is this. Are you still in Adam or are you in Christ? Which one is your representative? And if you're in Christ Jesus, have you begun to understand all that is yours in Him? Do you understand the abounding, remarkable grace of God? Is that what you live in? Do you live in the knowledge of the abundance of grace and the free gift that is yours? Keep those questions in mind as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed.
0: In Adam, we get the wage that we earned and that he earned for us. In Christ we get the free gift that is completely undeserved. Now, look at how Paul describes what Christ has brought us by his representation in verse 15. The grace of God. Adam brought only God's judgment upon us. Christ brought grace. What is grace? I love that word. I hope you never get tired of that word. I hope you never get tired of thinking about that word, about hearing it, of hearing it defined. What is grace? Let me remind you, grace is that attribute of God, that quality that permeates the person of God, that defines who He is. And this quality of grace is that in God which moves Him to find joy and delight in doing good to us even though we deserve the worst from Him. He finds joy and delight in doing good to us when we deserve only the worst. That's what Christ has brought us. It was God's grace. And notice it was grace that was the motive behind verse 15 and the gift. In chapter 6 verse 23 it's called the gift of God. What is this free gift? Well look down in verse 16. Notice there the gift, whatever it is, results in our justification and our being declared right with God. But but what is the gift itself? Well, that's defined for us in verse 17. It is the gift which is righteousness. Christian, do you understand? You have received so much more than just the forgiveness of your sins. You have received that, but you've received so much more. God has credited to your account the gift of the righteousness of Jesus Christ as if you had lived those 33 perfect years. He's put that in your account, and now He treats you as if you had lived that life. Notice that gift comes to you because of the grace of God, but it also comes to you, verse 15 goes on to say, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Think about that. It's not just God's grace, it's the grace of Christ. Christ didn't come to earth to stand in your place with some degree of hesitation. He didn't come whining and complaining about what he had to do. There was within his own heart that same joy to do good to you. He found delight in being your savior, in being your rescuer. In fact, we're saved by the grace of Christ. Acts 15:11, Peter says, "We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus." It's not just God, who, the Father who has grace, it's the Son who has grace as well. He found joy in coming to Earth and living here and being your representative and dying in your place. In Adam, then, we received the strict measured justice of God, exactly what we deserve and nothing more. But in Christ, we receive the grace of God, the free gift of righteousness by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Paul's not done. Notice how he puts it in verse 15. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, watch this, abound to the many. The word abound means to have an abundance, to have more than enough, to have some left over when you're done. You understand what this means? It means that when God forgives your sin, when He gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, He hasn't begun to exhaust His grace. No, He still has plenty left over. He hasn't even started using the supply of His grace. Whatever your sin may be, it's his grace is more than enough. Now, what Paul is saying then in verse 15 is in Adam we received the exact precise justice of God. But for us who are in Christ, Christ received the exact justice of God and we receive the extravagant, superabounding, more than enough grace of God in Christ. In fact, in verse 17, notice it's called the abundance of grace. In verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You can never outsend the grace of God. That doesn't mean you use grace as an excuse. He's going to deal with that in chapter 6. But understand, whatever your sin may be, the grace of God is greater. He says in verse 21, as sin reigned in death... Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace. This is what we get in Christ. I love the way John puts it in John 1.16. He says, from His fullness, that is the fullness of Christ. If you're in Christ, from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace stacked upon grace, stacked upon grace, stacked upon grace. Grace. Or as Paul says it in Ephesians 2, verse 7, he talks about the surpassing riches of his grace. Surpassing riches of the grace of God. That's what Christ brought us. Adam brought judgment. Christ brought us the surpassing riches of the grace of God. Much more, much more in Adam. We got the sentence of death that he earned and deserved from God's justice. But we can be much more certain that we will get what Christ earned and what comes to us as a free, unearned gift. The grace of God and of Christ abounds to us. Christ brought us grace instead of judgment. Now the second way that Jesus surpasses Adam is that He brought us justification for our many sins instead of condemnation for Adam's one sin. This is what we learn in verse 16. Notice what Paul says. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Now again, this section is very tightly, condensely worded. Let me sort of extricate that and and paraphrase it for you. Here's how we could put it. The free gift that came through Christ is not like the condemnation that came through Adam. The free gift that came through Christ is not like the condemnation that came through Adam. And then he follows with two contrasts. First of all, he contrasts the results of Adam's work with the results of Christ's work. Notice what he says in verse 16. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. From Adam's one sin arose judgment. That word judgment means a legal decision. It means God passed a verdict. And what was God's verdict? Well, resulting in condemnation. There was a verdict that resulted in condemnation. You recognize these words. They're legal words. They're taken from the courtroom. God's verdict about Adam's transgression was condemnation, which simply means God reached The legal verdict of guilty, guilty as charged. And Adam, therefore, was legally guilty and deserving of the sentence. What was the sentence God had passed? Death. Now, what that means, folks, is that everyone Adam represented, including you and including me, was found legally guilty before God and equally deserving of death. With the contrast. On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Instead of sin and the legal decision of guilty, Christ brings us a free gift. The gift of His own righteousness. So His work results in justification instead of condemnation. Those are the contrasts. Condemnation, justification, those are opposites. What is condemnation? A legal verdict of guilty. What is justification? A legal verdict of righteous. Adam earned us a verdict of guilty. Christ earned us a verdict of righteous. In Adam, we are guilty before God's law. We're deserving of death. In Christ, we are righteous. But that's not the only contrast here in verse 16. He also contrasts, did you see it? Adam's one sin versus the many sins we have committed. What's he, what's he saying? In response to Adam's one sin, God meted out exactly the justice that sin deserved to Adam and to us, death. But Christ, when he came, he didn't come just to take care of the one sin of Adam that we're guilty of. for. That's not why he came. He came for that reason, but so much more. Jesus came to also take care, do you notice verse 16, the many transgressions. Whose are those? Yours and mine, all of us who would believe. Believer, do you see what he's saying? Jesus came not only to deal with your guilt imputed to you because of Adam's choices in your place in the garden, He came to deal with the many transgressions that is the story of your life and mine. Every sin, every sin without exception, every sinful thought, every sinful attitude, every sinful word, every sinful act, every sin you have ever committed along with every sin you will ever commit has been eternally erased from the divine record. It's gone. And today, as you sit here, you sit here without a single sin on your record in heaven, and you wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God never sees you apart from Christ, your representative. And you have received the reward of His righteousness and the benefit of His death. That's why in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul is going to say, there is therefore now no condemnation. No verdict of guilty for those who are in Christ Jesus. Adam committed one transgression and was judged, resulting in condemnation for him and all who were in him. But Christ overcame a flood of transgressions to extend the free gift of his righteousness, resulting in justification to all who are in him. I love the way one commentator, Cranfield, puts it, He says, that one single misdeed of Adam's should be answered by judgment. This is perfectly understandable. But that the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift, this is the miracle of miracles utterly beyond human comprehension. Much more Christ surpasses Adam. He has brought us justification in exchange for our many sins, instead of condemnation for Adam's one sin. Christ is better. He's better than Adam. Thirdly, He's better because He brought us life instead of death. Verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, Paul here is summarizing what he's already taught us. You remember back in verse 12, through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. In verse 14, he says, death reigned from Adam until Moses, death reigned. He says it again in verse 17, death reigned through Adam. That's such a powerful description, isn't it, of life on this planet? death reigns. It rules. Death is like a mighty despot whose reign of terror is over every person who lives. ISIS can't hold a candle to the terror reign of death. It's over every person. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 puts it like this, therefore since the children, that's us, Share in flesh and blood, that is, those who believe in Christ. Since we have flesh and blood, since we're fully human, Christ himself likewise also partook of the same, that is, of our humanity. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and, listen to this, might free those, this is us, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Listen, if you're not in Christ... I can promise you this, you are in slavery to the fear of death. You fear the reality of death. And the only victory over the fear of death and the power of death is in Jesus Christ. Death reigns. Lloyd-Jones puts it this way, the world is a place of cemeteries. Death reigns. But again, notice the contrast in verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul here makes it clear that he's not teaching universalism, that every person is going to be saved. We didn't volunteer for Adam to represent us. You You didn't sign up for that. God appointed Adam as your representative, and mine as well. But it is only those who respond to God's grace in Christ in faith, who receive the free gift, who receive the benefit of what Christ did. You have to exercise faith. You have to receive the gift. Now, notice what we receive, verse 17, the abundance of grace. It's like he said back in verse 15 that abounding, superabounding grace of God in Christ. And. Verse 17 says, we receive the gift which is righteousness. You remember back in chapter 3? Go back to chapter 3, verse 24. Paul put it this way. He said, we are justified. We are declared right with God. We receive a right standing before God as a gift. Listen, justification is not a wage you earn. It is a gift you receive. By His grace, and it's through the work of Christ on the cross, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now go back to chapter 5. Did you notice in verse 17 that Paul doesn't say what we expect him to say? What we expect him to say is if on the one hand he says, death reigned in Adam, what do we expect him to say in Christ? If death reigned, life reigns, right? That's not what he says. That would have been amazing in and of itself, but God's grace is so much greater. What Paul actually says is that in Adam, death reigned, but in Christ, we reign in life. We reign. What in the world does that mean? We reign in life. Obviously, he he wants to emphasize that Christ brought life, whereas Adam brought death. But what does it mean we will reign well, I mean, we reign in Christ now, right? Ephesians 2.4 says we are seated. We're already seated with Christ. Experientially, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We reign with Him. What does that mean? It means that for us, the slavery to sin and death and Satan and the world has been broken. We reign. We're not slaves anymore to those things. But it also means we will reign with Christ forever. We who were slaves to sin and death become kings. Let me show this to you. Turn to Revelation. I love the way Christ puts it in Revelation 3, verse 21. He's talking to the the church in Laodicea and He says in verse 21, He who overcomes... Now in the context here, that's every believer. If you're a believer, you're an overcomer. He who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Christ is saying, you are going to reign with me. But if that isn't clear enough, go over to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 6, we read, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the righteous. Over these The second death, that is eternal suffering in the lake of fire, as he explains it later in this chapter, over these, the second death has no power. But they, believers, that's us, will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years, the millennium. We will reign with Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop then. Go over to chapter 22. Verse 5, we're now in the eternal state. We're, we're at the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 25, there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. We'll never stop reigning with Jesus Christ. Amazing, amazing grace. Now go back to Romans 5 it's crucial that we remind ourselves again how these gifts become ours. Remember, righteousness is a gift, verse 17 of chapter 5. Justification is a gift, chapter 3, verse 24. Eternal life is a gift, chapter 6, verse 23. So, righteousness, justification, and life are all gifts, free gifts. How do those become ours? Notice the end of verse 17. Through the one, Jesus Christ. You you see what he's saying? He's saying just as through the sin of Adam, you were condemned without any participation of yours. You didn't participate in any way in what Adam did, but you got the blame for it. In the same way, your only hope of salvation is found in the one man, Jesus Christ. If you would be saved from your sin and its penalty, it will be by the work of that one man, Jesus Christ, in your place, without any contribution from you. You say, how do I gain those gifts? It's a free gift you receive. But there is one catch. The catch is you can't take the free gift that's offered you in Christ unless you're willing first to give up your sin. You can't hold both the free gift from God and your sin at the same time. That's why the Bible talks about repentance. You've got to be willing to turn from what you know is sin in your life to receive the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of justification, a a right standing before God. So I ask you again, this morning, are you still in Adam? If you're a human being, you are in Adam. But are you still in Adam? or are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, and I think most of us here this morning are, if you're in Christ, let me ask you this question. Have you begun to understand and to live in the light of the much more that is yours in Jesus Christ? Do you live in the knowledge of the abundance of God's grace and the free gift that has been given to you? Or do you walk around sullen and and dejected and Oppressed by life's troubles because you don't really get what's yours in Jesus Christ. Paul says, understand the much more that is yours and live in the light of it. And in fact, Lloyd-Jones writes, it is only when you and I who are a part of the Christian church are rejoicing in this abounding grace as we ought to be that we shall begin to attract the people who are outside the church. Listen, Christian, it's only as you really get what is yours in Jesus Christ and you begin to live in the light of it and and that joy just oozes out of you because of what you have, it's then that the gospel will become attractive to the people around you. Never lose sight of the much more that is yours in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of The True and Better Adam. Join us again next time for part seven. Well, Tom, it's absolutely essential for every person to examine whether or not they are in Christ or in Adam. Isn't that true?
0: In fact, it's the most important question we can ask ourselves. Friend, let me just ask you today, are you still in Adam? Are you as you were when you were born and came into this world and as you've lived your life? Or are you truly in Christ? Are you represented by Christ? Has there been a marked change as the Holy Spirit has made you a new creation in Christ? Let me encourage you that Christ came to save us who are sinners. And if we are willing to accept his perfect life his substitutionary death, and his resurrection. We are willing to turn from our sin. That's what the scripture calls repentance. And to believe in the work of Jesus Christ as our representative, then we can experience the grace of God, and we can know God, be forgiven of our sins, be assured of his eternal presence.
1: Thanks, Tom. Are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church is home to the Master Seminary Dallas campus. Join Pastor Tom Pennington as he hosts the Master Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, March 24th through the 27th at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in the church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to org. That's the WordUnleash.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting the WordUnleash.org. That's the WordUnleash.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed. Exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank <laughs> you.